It's a solo Spain and Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You heard my guy Fitz earlier down the dial on the network. Uh, he's doing some digital stuff, so we got a lot to get to. Breaking news during the day today, Deshaun Watson waving his no-trade clause for the Cleveland Browns. We had it down to two teams. We had the Browns out of the running but then they showed up with $230 million guaranteed. That is right, $80 million more guaranteed than anybody ever for a guy who is still facing 22 allegations of sexual harassment and assault. Civil allegations and cases that have yet to be decided. And there is a very uncertain future for Watson in terms of his availability for the Browns. But the key to this deal that we found out shortly after Adam Schefter broke the news is that his very first season has a base salary of just $1 million, which means if he's suspended, it'll come out of that base. He stands to lose almost nothing. That's right. It's a $230 million five-year contract with a $1 million first-year base salary. That is an admission from both the team and the player that they anticipate that there will be a punishment enacted by the NFL. For those of you who would be surprised by that because a grand jury decided the evidence presented to them was not sufficient for charges and the criminal case was not followed through on, you might have forgotten that both Ben Roethlisberger and Ezekiel Elliott were suspended by the league without criminal charges. It's also important to note that it is actually... It can be difficult, especially in cases of sexual assault, to find a grand jury to indict because sometimes in cases, again, especially of sexual misconduct, the prosecution may not believe that they are likely to get charges and they decide not to prosecute. They decide that they don't want to follow through, sometimes for political reasons, because they think it is very difficult to prosecute. Also of note in this case, there were several accusers of Deshaun Watson that were there at the Harris County Criminal Justice Center ready to provide testimony, but only one was called in front of the grand jury. The prosecutor does have discretion on what's presented to the jury. It was closed. We don't know exactly what evidence was brought up, um, but to those arguing, there is an evidence, uh, 20 plus women with an accusation, some of whom are not seeking any civil uh, cases, and at least one of whom was not related to the group of Busby clients that had come together uh, after making those accusations. Um, uh, that's evidence. Uh, there's also some corroborating evidence that we talked to Jenny Vrentis about last night. And one interesting question to ask of the Browns as they offer up $230 million guaranteed to someone who not only is likely to be suspended for a portion of the upcoming season, but if the allegations are true, could be accurately described as a serial predator. And the guarantee that that action and those behaviors immediately stops is not likely based on historical precedent. What kind of language is in this contract on the occasion that there are further civil or criminal complaints? I would imagine that the Browns would have to protect themselves against the giving out of a contract like this without being certain that the person that they're bringing in uh, is going to behave in a manner that's different than what we saw sidelining him for the last season, which of course was partly because of desire to get out of uh, Texas. But he had made that request for a trade and said he was willing to sit even before these accusations came out. And once they did, it was sort of agreed that he would sit out and, and this would take its course. Not surprising 
still disappointing. I guess my new motto is never shocked, always disappointed that someone who had to sit a whole season because of 20 plus accusations of sexual harassment and, and assault uh, would be rewarded with the biggest contract in history and the most guaranteed money in history before his last contract had even completed. Again, never shocked, always disappointed. Uh, but I mentioned Jenny Brentis. She was on with us last night, New York Times sports reporter, and she's been doing great work on this. And one of the things that she brought up is something many of us have been asking too, which is, is anybody going to do their due diligence before making these deals? And as of yesterday, the Browns were among the many teams interested in Watson that had not. So I spoke with Tony Busby on Tuesday evening, which was after the depositions and two more of the civil suits. And he said at that point, uh, no teams had reached out to him. Uh, no teams had asked to speak to the plaintiffs. Um, and, you know, I think that's an important piece of this. Um, perhaps the plaintiffs wouldn't want to speak to a team, but you should make the ask. You should certainly reach out to their counsel and try to collect facts. You know, a lot of times we hear teams, and we're certainly going to hear this once the, the trade is complete, wherever he's traded to, that we did our due diligence. We vetted the situation thoroughly. But rarely do teams actually provide specifics on what that entails. Um, and we know that teams have been speaking to Watson and meeting with him directly, and I'm sure hearing from his defense team. But if you really want to assess the situation, you should try to hear from both sides. Um, and you should try to collect information on your own. You know, as, as I referenced, there is corroborating information for some of these accounts. And so that is part of the fact-finding that teams should be doing. Jenny Vrentis giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. And yeah, to her point, uh, we often hear about full vetting or a, a real investigation that they feel confident in, but very rarely do we hear the details. And oftentimes when the details come out, it is in fact a lot of discussions with friends and family and not any conversation with uh, the alleged victims of, of the crimes that have uh, resulted in the investigations. Um, she did point out, and there is a story that she wrote for SI that you can find uh, of one of the massage therapists who she personally found by cold calling a number of massage therapists in the Houston area to see if any of them had worked with Deshaun. This is not someone who's currently involved in the civil case or the criminal case named Mary. That's the pseudonym they've given her. And uh, this was someone who had text messages, conversations with others, uh, conversations with Deshaun Watson via DM uh, that pointed to her letting him know that she, he had made her uncomfortable, that he had made requests for things outside of massage, uh, that there were complaints from others. So um, all of those things, I, I presume, are things that the Browns would want to see before making this decision. Again, five years, $230 million, $80 million more guaranteed than anyone ever. Leave it Leave it to the NFL, as always, to teach us life's biggest lessons, right? Uh, here's your reward uh, for the last uh, uh, two years of, of what you've gone through. Here's your reward for, as what some people would say, he's faced, is a record contract, the trade that you so desired, and the prioritization of you over our existing quarterback after we said as a team we wanted an adult. Remember that, Mort Report? The Browns wanted an adult to lead their team. So they went with a guy currently facing 22 allegations of sexual assault and harassment, who demanded a trade and threatened to sit rather than play for his previous team, even before those allegations sidelined him, and who might be suspended to start the season. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there listening and you're frustrated with me. Innocent until proven guilty. And I agree. I'm not saying he should be in jail. I'm not saying that he should never be allowed to work again. What I'm saying is that we continually have to face, in sports, 
the fact that money and talent over everything. That we can have a Browns team who I believe currently has hired the most women from the NFL Women in Football Forum to work for them and to be among them. They can post out Happy International Women's Day eight days ago. Here we are for all the women that make it possible. And then they can still bring in someone that I wonder if they ask their female staff or employees or the male ones for that matter, who have the, the morality and, and knowledge about these kind of incidents to, to, to be uncomfortable, how they feel about it. And I would ask you if you're really mad at me for asking these questions and having this conversation, why you believe one person over 22 plus especially when that person is an NFL quarterback who eschewed the massage therapists and professional masseuses that the team offered for at least 50-plus masseuses that he met on Instagram, at least one of whom was an esthetician and not a masseuse, and several of whom were unlicensed. Why would a professional athlete seek body work for his tool that he uses to do his job from Instagram women instead of professionals through the team, 50 plus of them, and then according to the accusations, tell them what to wear to the appointments, etc. Just ask yourself those questions at least. I know you're gonna get my menchies anyway, and we all have a tendency to conflate you know, morality with success and fame. Just because someone's really talented and successful doesn't mean that they are morally good. Uh, we got to move on to something else. We're going to get back to this, but we have hours of March Madness that we have not recapped yet. Women's and men's tourneys in full swing. Uh, we might have seen one of the biggest upsets ever yesterday. We're going to ask Seth Greenberg just how big it was next. The NFL uh, is king. It will steal headlines and attention even from March Madness, which is hours and hours and hours of content that we are right in the midst of. But there were a lot of big games, upsets, results that were surprising, top teams that struggled early on. We got to get to all of it. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, we uh, we saw today the first full day of the women's tourney. Number 12, Florida Gulf Coast upsetting number 5, Virginia Tech, 84-81. Uh, the fight in Kate Fagans, the Colorado Buffs, unfortunately, number 7 seed, they were upset by Creighton. Number 10 seed, 84-74. We saw one of the biggest, most humiliating losses I've ever seen. We'll get to that a little bit later. I really want to I really want to sit in the mud on that one for a bit and ask y'all some uncomfortable questions about whether it's still just an honor to be here at some point. Uh, we'll see if that happens again tonight. You got number one Stanford, the defending champs, taking on number 16 Montana State. They are 33-point favorites in that one. Yes, 3-3. Three, three. Scotty Pippen, 33-point favorites in that one. That's 10 Eastern on ESPN2. So we'll keep you updated on the women's tourney. And uh, my bracket's uh, somehow already in shambles. I, I, I picked a lot of chalk this year. I guess I should know better. But I always figure, like, the people doing the seedings, they've been watching every single game. They know all the stuff. Why would I disagree with them? And then every year I'm like, oh, I should have disagreed with them. Uh, speaking of someone who often disagrees with the seedings, let's get to an expert to walk us through some of the men's tourneys so far. ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg. Let's get to the lines. Happy to welcome on Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, also part of the Bald Men on Campus podcast. Seth, the upset of the tournament, obviously the St. 
Peters Peacocks over Kentucky in OT. Just how big of an upset was that? Uh, probably after Virginia and UMBC, probably the next biggest upset I can remember in the NCAA tournament, just because Kentucky brand. I mean, you think about Kentucky, there's no bigger brand in college basketball than, than Kentucky. And look, I mean, it was an upset. There's no doubt about it. But you know, St. Peter's won that job. Okay. They won the game. They were the harder playing team. They made plays. They didn't back down. And that's one of my, my things that we've got to really understand about the NCAA tournament. Like, these teams that win conference tournaments and have won 20, 24 games like Richmond, and they get into chance to play in the NCAA tournament, they're not an opponent. Like, they're trying to win just like Kentucky and Iowa. Right. And, uh, you know, on a special night like they had last night, I thought they dominated the game defensively and dominated the guards of Kentucky. And then offensively, they spread Kentucky out and pretty much got any shot they wanted. Yeah, I think sometimes we think of them as those old dream team opponents that are getting the jerseys signed after, and that's not it. They're, yeah. they're here to win. No. You mentioned Richmond. Richmond knocked off uh, Iowa. New Mexico State held off UConn. Which one of those were you more surprised by, those upsets? You know, probably uh, you know, probably Richmond because, you know, you're talking about uh, an Iowa team that's coming off a Big Ten championship, an Iowa team that at the end of the season has an elite player in Keegan Murray, who I think is going to be, you know, top four or five picks in the draft. Uh, an Iowa team that kind of exercised their demons of not guarding anyone. And when you think about Iowa basketball, last few years they were good, but, you know, Luca Garza wasn't great ball screen defense. But Richmond has four 50-year seniors starting. Mm. They got four, like, 23-year-olds. And all those kids decided to come back because they wanted to give it one more run. And, you know, so they're a good team. Tyler Burton's going to play in the NBA. Jacob Gilliard, their point guard, uh, you know, is the all-time leader in steals in, in college basketball history, Division One history. So they're not a, like cute, like another game. They're not a like, cute little team. They're really a good team. They're really well coached. Chris Moon is a good coach. They play a different style of basketball. I would have said Iowa just for the fact that Iowa's playing so well at the end of the season. Uh, but Richmond, uh, Burton was terrific. They did a great job kind of pushing Iowa's offense out a little bit so that all those passes to Murray were disrupted. And Jacob Gillier was the best guard on the court. I mean, they absolutely dominated, dominated Iowa's guards, the Richmond guards. Seth Greenberg with me. You can follow him. Seth on hoops here on Spain and Fitz. You know, I think we get prisoner of the moment sometime every year when the tournament starts and we see upsets. We try to go back and figure out if it's more upsets than usual. I feel like we're not even through day two. You got Notre Dame today taking out Alabama an 11 over a six. A lot of people thought a lot of the 11s had a really good chance to upset. Do you think that there was misseedings or you think we're just seeing some underdog teams play up to competition? Well, Notre Dame, uh, you know, Alabama was playing really poorly at the end of the season. I don't know why they were six. They really, they were really struggling. They struggled guarding, and they struggled guarding today. Notre Dame was playing better, and uh, you know, it's easy to root for Mike Bray. He's like, you know, he's like one of the greatest guys in coaching. I did it for thirty-three years, and like I just tweeted out, he's just an easy guy to root for. I mean, it's it's amazing. But yeah, there were some misseedings. There's no doubt about it. Not not drastically, but I, I picked all the all the elevens to beat the sixes. Now I think yeah, Virginia Tech's going to lose. Wild. Yeah, Virginia coming off that high of, uh, you know, obviously winning the ACC tournament. But I don't know if there's more. I mean, there were a couple that were like Michigan over Colorado State's not an upset. I mean, you know, Michigan is a really good, solid team in in, in the Big Ten. They've got, a you know, an All-American in Hunter Dickinson. They've got really talented young players. Uh, you know, I was really impressed with the Collins kid, the freshman guard. I thought he was terrific with Devontae Jones out. But some of them aren't upsets, like – 
for basketball people, you're looking and going, no, 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 that, that's not an 11. That, 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 that's not right. And, and that's kind of what you look at in some of these games. Uh, you know, Notre Dame was playing better and Rutgers was playing better if they won that game than Alabama. Down the stretch, Alabama was there. They, they had bad chemistry. You could see it. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, maybe their resume said the Baylor win, the resume said the Gonzaga win. So, I mean, that's where they got seeded from. But at the end of the season, you're watching them play. And even Reese Davis, world's greatest Alabama fan, Alabama graduate, like he said, I, I wouldn't trust those guys. There's no chance I could pick them. And he's right because they yeah. were playing really selfish basketball. Seth Greenberg with me here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Gonzaga got the win over Georgia State, but they were on the ropes for a bit. How much do you take away from that game in terms of your expectations for them for the rest of the tourney? Nothing. In fact, they scored 62 points in the paint. Holmgren and Timmy were absolutely terrific. I thought Nebhard did a nice job of running the show. It's going to take time, and that's another misnomer. Like People think you know, you're a great team. You're just going to run the other team out in the first five minutes. You can do that. That can happen. But sometimes it takes time to settle into the game, especially the team that has that much pressure on it and, uh, you know, getting your team's attention. I said this all along. Gonzaga's season doesn't start until they get to the NCAA tournament because they're going to win the West Coast Conference. Uh, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They've been to two, you know, Final Fours out of three years. All right? All, all really comes down to is winning the championship. So their season started, and I think it probably took them a little bit of time to settle in and get – you know, kind of get raised their temperature. I always talk about raising temperatures, you know, raising their temperature to get ready for the tournament. But look, they're really good. Holmgren was, was phenomenal the other day, impacting the game, you know, rebounding, blocking shots, making shots, uh, making plays for his teammates, handling the ball. And Timmy had, he had, I think, 32 points. 62 points in the paint is just an obscene number. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do think that a lot of folks are just always waiting for that Gonzaga collapse. So that's part of why that game got so much attention. Hey, we got to let you go, but I'm curious. We got a whole slate of games tonight coming up. What are you most keeping an eye on? I think the Houston UAB game is really the 12, uh, 12-5 game is an interesting game for me because UAB, what's the art of the upset? Uh, on the tempo of the game, UAB is going to try to play fast. Have a guy that can take over a game. Joey Walker can do that. UAB does not turn the ball over. UAB rebounds the ball, which is the best thing that Houston does. And if you play fast, then you can play ahead of that Houston defense. I'm, I'm really interested to see how Andy Kennedy's team plays tonight. Awesome stuff, Seth. I know you're really busy at this time. Appreciate a couple minutes. All right. Thanks, I Appreciate it. Enjoy. We'll get your top tourney moments at Sarah Spain. Send them to me. Back to Deshaun Watson. How did it come together, and what does it mean for the football side of things? Next. The shocking news today, after we believed that Deshaun Watson had narrowed it down to the Falcons and Saints, he waves his no-trade clause to go to the Browns. This, of course, means Baker Mayfield will get his desire to leave acquiesced to. It opens up a whole can of worms as to how this came about, what kind of diligence the Browns did on Deshaun, and what it means for the football side of things. We'll bring in someone who knows the team well to talk about all of that. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter Jake Trotter joins me now. Uh, Jake, uh, I, I covered a lot of my thoughts on uh, the what appears to be a, a giant congratulations and celebration for somebody who was in this position for unfavorable reasons. Uh, we'll get back to that element. Let's just talk how this came together, because this is a real surprise after everything that had been reported. Yeah, it was a uh, stunner, Sarah. You know, on Thursday, Watson's uh, camp had informed the Browns that they were no longer in the running, that he 
was going to narrow his decision down to the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers, although he would later cut the Panthers uh, from consideration as well. So it looked like Cleveland was in this awkward situation with Baker Mayfield, who later in the day had requested a trade. The Browns said they weren't going to honor that uh, request, and it looked like Cleveland was going to be at an impasse with Mayfield for the foreseeable future. And, of course, all of that changed. And what changed, Sarah, is that the Browns, were willing to do what apparently no other team was, which was they were going to give him a new five-year deal worth $230 million guaranteed. Now, how big of a deal is that? That is the biggest contract in NFL history in terms mm-hmm. of guaranteed money by a full $80 million. There's only, mm-hmm. I believe, five contracts in the history of the league that are, old, that are bigger than $120 million in guaranteed yeah. money. So this is a this is an unprecedented contract uh, of epic proportions, and that's how they were able to uh, convince Watson to change his mind. So, do you know anything yet? If there are elements of the contract, I imagine there would have to be that negate those guarantees in the case of future criminal or civil accusations or charges. It's a great question. Um, you know, the NFL Network reported that actually the first year of Watson's contract. Uh, includes only $1 million in base salary, which would mean if he gets suspended under the NFL's uh, code of conduct policy um, related to sexual assault, which is a baseline of uh, six games you would miss, um, because his base salary would be structured in a way um, that, that, that he would only make $1 million there, Sarah, he would only have to pay a little over $50,000 per game loss. That's on a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. And I think all of it underscored just how desperate the Browns were to make this happen. They were willing to do anything to make it happen, and they did not care what it looked like. That very clearly is both the Browns and Watson preparing for what they believe is an inevitability in terms of some sort of punishment by making that that first year base. But I guess my question is beyond that. Have they put in protections, as far as we know, for that $230 million guaranteed? Because historical precedent would tell you that if he is, in fact, what these women allege, that would make him essentially a sexual predator, a repeat offender who is, continues to seek out women to do this to and simply being caught uh, historically does not stop those people from continuing the behavior. Have they protected themselves and done the diligence to, I mean, that's a whole lot of guaranteed money. Yeah, that's there. I can't speak to I don't know. I don't know the answer to that at this point. Um, and I think it's a great question uh, to try and find out, which is uh, among the many things I'm, I'm working on right now, but I, I do not know. And that's why the $230 million in fully guaranteed money is just, even more staggering, I think, than it would be for, like, the average quarterback, the average superstar quarterback, I should say. Jake Trotter, ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter, is with me here on Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight. Do you have any idea why Watson decided that the Browns were the best place over the Falcons and Saints? Is it just the money? And I, and I can't say just when it's $230 million guaranteed. Well, it's the money, first of all. But also, I mean, the Browns, number one, Uh, based on everything I heard, uh, really made an impressive uh, presentation to Watson on Tuesday night, which, by the way, uh, happened after he was answering questions under oath and the depositions related to the 
civil lawsuits that he faces now, um, you know, the Browns really impressed him. And, and I don't think the Browns came into this as, by any means as the favorite. You know, it really seemed like Carolina early, and then everyone you talked to in the league felt like it was going to be the New Orleans Saints at the end of the day. But the Browns have something that, you know, Carolina didn't have, Atlanta didn't have, and maybe even New Orleans didn't have, and that's a supporting cast that looks like it's a championship caliber one. I mean, you've got Miles Garrett, uh, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, uh, a tremendous offensive line, all those pro bowlers, um, you know, really with, uh, you know, better quarterback play than they got last season, you know, the Browns could have been a factor. Um, you know, obviously Baker Mayfield with the, uh, the the torn labrum in his left shoulder just did not have a good year. And they, they were able, I think, to pitch Watson that, like, you're the missing piece on what we believe will be a championship team. And if you win a championship in Cleveland, that's something that no one has ever done before, at least in football. Jake, have you heard much about how the uh, reaction from the fans in Cleveland has been? Yeah, it feels kind of mixed. I mean, I, I, you know, I think there are obviously a lot of fans that are excited because, you know, Watson on the field is a, a, an exciting player. I mean, you know, I remember watching him in person in 2020, uh, just a fabulous talent. Like, I thought at the time, like, this guy, to me, was one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll see what he looks like having not played last year, but like no one can deny that this guy is an absolute superstar on the field. But I feel like there's a lot of fans. I mean, you know, Twitter is not always a great, uh, you know, um, you know, canvas of what, you know, the normal person thinks and feels, but you know, there are a lot of people I think that are kind of disgusted by this at the same time. And, you know, the Browns have a history of this, you know, they, they signed Kareem Hunt, they signed Malik McDowell, uh, you know, it had, uh, you know, a lot of problems with the law and has since been arrested, uh, you know, since he started at defensive tackle for the Browns. I mean, I think that they've made it pretty clear. They just don't really care what you've done if you can help them win football games. Yeah, it's actually interesting to try to reconcile that with a team that's been sort of on the forefront of hiring women, uh, whether it's Callie Bronson, who's the chief of staff, to other mm-hmm. um, positions around the team. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, talking to Jake Trotter. You can follow him at Jake underscore Trotter. All right, what does this mean for Baker Mayfield, who's been, uh, you know, Willie or won't he, and is he gone or is he back, and we won't let you leave, and now, of course, he will be leaving. Yeah, he's kind of a low-key winner of all this. He's getting what he wants. He, he's, you know, he's, I think to some degree, really going back to December, you know, he's kind of wanted out of Cleveland. You know, finally came to a head this week with the way the Watson thing went down. Um, and then, you know, our own you know, Chris Mortensen reporting on air that a Browns official said that they wanted, quote, an adult at the position uh, instead of Baker Mayfield, which I've been told was kind of the final straw. Uh, with his relationship and the team, you know, he seemed pretty dead set on never playing another down with the Browns after that comment. So uh, he's getting what he wants. He's going to get traded. Um, Teams to watch for that. Indianapolis Colts still need a quarterback after they jettison Carson Wentz. Seattle needs a quarterback. Uh, You know, they, they traded Russell Wilson. Um, You know, you look at Carolina, potentially, they've been trying to get a quarterback. It seems like forever, uh, you know, having traded for uh, Sam Darnold, uh, recently, and then you know maybe even the Saints, who were a player in the Watson uh, race as well. So uh, I think those are some of the teams to watch. And uh, you know Mayfield, despite what we saw last year, you know people seem to forget that just a year ago uh, he was top ten in the NFL and QBR and led the Browns to their first playoff victory in 26 years. So he has shown, despite the the massive inconsistency, that he can play at a pretty high level in this league. 
Yeah, uh, certainly will be in a brand new position to prove that, and his play can do just that. I found it sort of comical, and I don't mean in a ha-ha way, but in a sort of absurd, uh, my motto for the day being never surprised, always disappointed, that the Browns said they wanted an adult and then went with someone who's currently facing 22 civil cases and tried to pout his way out of his last team, and that they were, their big problem with Baker was his, he was uh, too emotional and too passionate. Uh, certainly... An interesting choice. Jake, uh, you're going to be very busy. I know you were hoping to watch Marsh Madness, and this is preventing <laughs> you from doing that. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. Jake Trotter, ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter. You can follow him at Jake underscore Trotter. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. We'll get back to Deshaun Watson. Uh, some interesting statistics pulled by someone uh, that may uh, make you think differently about the uh, criminal side of his case. Uh, but we got to keep up with some of the March Madness stuff that's going on. And my favorite moment from yesterday that somehow didn't involve a single basketball player. We'll get to it next. It is uh, hard to keep up with anything other than March Madness when you have hours of basketball in front of your face day in and day out. There is, of course, tons of other news in the sports world. NWSL is actually getting underway the season tonight. We've got the Deshaun Watson news. So many questions about where Baker Mayfield is going and the continued QB carousel. I, I wonder if the Washington Commanders are thinking they may have jumped the gun just a wee bit on the old Carson Wentz signing. Now as they see the number of quarterbacks floating around the marketplace. We'll get back to all of that, but tons of action in March Madness on the men's and women's side. Let's talk about it. Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. The biggest story yesterday was, of course, St. Peter's shocking the number two seed Kentucky in the first round. Uh, Daryl Banks the third with 27 points in the overtime victory. The Peacocks are just the 10th number 15 seed to win a first round game since the tournament expanded to 64 teams. And of course, they are probably the funniest named because let's be honest, the Peacocks. Have you ever seen a team with the mascot, the Peacocks before? And of all the Saints, it had to be Peter. Peter's Peacocks. You could think about it if you want. I guess if there was a St. Johnson, I don't want to get into it. I'm going down a path that we shouldn't follow. But the point is, saying St. Peter's Peacocks is funny, and hearing the responses from the coach of St. Peter versus the coach of Kentucky to the loss was also funny. John Calipari, of course, would never, ever tell you that they lost the game, St. Peter's didn't win it, or, or would he? You have an eight-point lead with three minutes to go. You win the game. So I really don't need to know, well, this guy did that and that guy did this and missed this and this and turned. We had an eight-point lead with three-some to go. I'm not taking away from St. Peter's. They deserve to win the game. They fought the entire time. But that's how I feel about it. I'm not going to make the point by saying it, but I am going to make very clear and very sure that you know what I'm saying, which is we lost the game. No congrats to St. Peter's. No respect for St. Peter's. Then you get Shaheen Holloway, the head coach of St. Peter's, who comes in with the thanks for playing Kentucky. First of all, I want to give Coach Cal in Kentucky a lot of credit. Those guys came out and, you know, they, they fought, they fought. You know, our guys stepped up to the level of competition. Um, so hats off to them. Just proud of my guys for battling like we do all year. This is something that these guys understand, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but we wasn't coming down here just to lose. We come down here to fight, and we, we did. Yeah, 
a lot of credit to to Coach Calipari, Kentucky, for showing up here. A lot of credit to a team whose coach has a bigger salary than our entire budget. <laughs> that hurts a lot. I mean, it all hurts. I and I do genuinely feel sad for the Kentucky players. As I said yesterday, I'm like the most competitive human being alive. But I just want to win. I I have a hard time watching other people be sad, especially the favorites when they're crying on the court and they've got big hopes for themselves. But Kentucky outspent St. Peter's 18.3 million dollars to 1.6 million in men's basketball. That is the biggest disparity in terms of ratio and raw difference between budgets since 2007, which is as far back as data is publicly available. So that is the biggest financial upset in March Madness since 2007. Just barely beating out when Lehigh upset Duke in 2012. I didn't need to mention that, but if I can mention Duke getting upset early, especially by my sister's alma mater, CJ McCollum, I think, on that squad, that Lehigh squad, uh, then I will. So the St. Peter's upset... The Peacocks storming in uh, was a big one. Also, uh, for Indiana, not not a great day. Pretty ugly, in fact. Uh, lost to St. Mary's, and nobody played well, except for a couple cheerleaders. The basketball got stuck. It was wedged atop the backboard. And if you haven't seen the clips, please go find them. I actually made one. I posted it to my Twitter, at Sarah Spain, last night. I, I spliced in a little one shining moment and then cut out just in time for the excellent call from the announcers. But the game got wedged, or the ball got wedged. And at first, a, I would say, uh, not statuesque official attempted to stand on a chair and use uh, the mop stick to get it was nowhere close they didn't want to put a player up there and risk injury so some wise person fairly quickly in fact sent one of those big burly male cheerleaders with the one tiny girl cheerleader standing on his shoulders and she went up and grabbed the ball and i believe the call from the announcer was the cheerleader saves the day and it's her one shining moment crowd's going wild all the indiana fans in red are like ah something to cheer for that was about it. That was about it. Cassidy, Cerny, and Nathan Paris, the duo who saved the day and gave Indiana one thing to cheer about. Speaking of nothing to cheer about, Sister Jean is out already. Listen, Chicago, we, we have so many alums from so many places here that when you try to talk college basketball, you could walk down the street in Lincoln Park and be at an Iowa bar and then an Indiana and then Ohio State and then a Michigan and then a Michigan State and then an Illinois. I mean, it is literally this Midwestern melting pot. So we don't get too hyped about anyone because unfortunately Northwestern's not making deep runs. U of I is almost a different state, the dif difference between the kind of place and the distance down at the bottom of Illinois. But we got behind Loyola, and we got behind Sister Jean. She's out already. And I don't want to be morbid, but I don't know how many more tournaments Sister Jean's got in her. What is she, 101? I just, I wanted a deeper run for Sister Jean. I, I just, I honestly, first of all, I, inter I interviewed, I'm a Sister Jean hipster. I interviewed Sister Jean a full year and a half before she became the icon who has her own bobblehead and whatnot. And listening to her talk about what, what basketball was like for her when she started playing, where the women weren't allowed to dribble and they couldn't cross half court. It was not basketball. It was its own special version for women. I think that's back when they thought our uteruses would fall out if we like ran too fast. And then seeing her drop plans for the Loyola team and give them her tips and her scouting reports for every game. It's delightful. She's out. Loyola Chicago. 
dumped by Ohio State 54-41. Sister Jean bounced way too early. Who will be our Sister Jean this year? Who will be our Dunk City? Who will be the, you know, we got the cheerleader, but we need some other, we need some other, you know, extracurricular sort of things to get behind. The Xavier benches, if you will. We got a number one seed, South Carolina, absolutely destroying Howard in the women's bracket. And I want to ask you this question, and I mean no disrespect to Howard. This was a record season for them. This was an incredible run. They earned their way in via a first four victory. But the final score of the game was 79-21. And when I tell you, that sounds closer than it was. I mean it. 79-21. That game was not that close. They had like five points at halftime. Maybe a little. Maybe it was 15. No, I don't think it was. I really think they had single digits at the half. And I respect Howard and the work they put in. And the thing with the women's game is the better the competition, you know, what is it? A a something boat raises all tides. I don't know. Something like that. A good boat rises all. You know what this, you know what I'm saying? The better the women's programs at the top, the better they all have to be to keep up. And Howard is going to catch up and they're going to improve. But I do have to ask with all honesty, is it still an honor to be here? If you finish with 21 points in a game that the other team scored 79 despite playing a bunch of their bench players. I'm just going to ask the question. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, we'll get to that in a moment. Also, number 12, Florida Gulf Coast, upsetting number 5, Virginia Tech, 84-81. We, uh, the, the brackets aren't looking good for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm like LeBron at the beginning of a game. Too much chalk. And on the women's side as well, uh, I have been surprised by some of the upsets. Uh, so uh, I, I asked y'all some of your favorite moments. We'll get to those uh, hopefully a little bit later in the show. Uh, a lot of you also decided that the cheerleader moment was the best so far. It's early. I mean, I, I actually am surprised how much has already happened, not even two full days into it, between the cheerleader and the Peacocks. Um, you know, uh, Kansas doing with Kansas things, Gonzaga almost getting bounced, uh, all of that stuff. But Keep it coming at Sarah Spain. Let me know your favorite moments so far from the men's and women's March Madness. We'll get to that later. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Back to the NFL. Why'd the Packers get rid of Devontae Adams? It's next. It's a solo Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We are going to get back to the shocking and breaking news of Deshaun Watson's deal with the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, and the guaranteed money, $230 million, $80 million more than any other guaranteed contract in NFL history. We'll also get you back some of the March Madness goodies, but... Got to talk to Jason Wildy, one of our buddies from uh, ESPN Milwaukee, about the big news that happened during yesterday's show. Devontae Adams to the Raiders. What did Aaron Rodgers know? What does this mean for the Packers? Are the Bears finally in the driver's seat? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Our number one signing uh, just got uh, rejected due to a failed physical. Jason, what's going on? Well, Sarah, first of all, it's great to talk to you. I don't know if Fitzy's avoiding me. I felt like we ended on a bad note the last yeah, time probably. I talked to you guys. Yeah. But, it's probably for the best. He uh, would hey, be laughing you got, at you now <laughs> about, you about got his two big Packers <laughs> on your. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you um, you got two Packers on your roster now in Chicago, in Lucas Patrick and Equinemius St. Brown. So 
things right. are looking up for you, and things are definitely not looking up no matter how the Packers may try to spin it uh, for them after trading away the best wide receiver in football. What was your first reaction to hearing it? Uh, I was at Sydney's U11 indoor soccer game, and I honestly <laughs> thought that somebody was pulling my leg when I looked at my phone. Uh, I, I did not think. I, I thought there was an outside possibility that he would eventually be traded because I do think that the franchise tag inspires such acrimony. And I know how Devontae was, long before it was reported uh, in the past week or two, how dead set against the franchise tag Devontae Adams was. Because remember, and you know, you've been around Waddle and all these other former players that we both know, the risk for an NFL player to play the final year of his contract when he is an elite mm-hmm. player and is in line for a big payday is significant. You suffer a major injury and you cost yourself a ton of money. And Adams didn't hold out. He did things the right way last yeah. year. He got, he was unhappy about them not getting an extension done, but he showed up the first day of camp and he, all, all he did last season was catch more passes for more yards than anybody in Packers history. All he's done since 2016 is catch more passes for more yards and more touchdowns than any wide receiver in the entire NFL. So the fact that this got ugly, um, I thought that they would be able to get past it. I did not think it would come to a trade on March 17th, but here we are. Jason Wildey of Wildey and Tausch, Touch, Touch. I always get that wrong. Tausch, yeah. Tausch, no, you got it. You. you nailed it. All right, nice Wildey work. and Tausch. Yeah. Uh, did the Packers get back enough in return? If they were going to lose him and he was dead set on leaving after that, uh, after they couldn't come to terms on the deal, uh, did they get enough? Well, we know that they could have gotten two first-round picks had they waited, allowed the Raiders to sign him to an offer sheet, and then not matched it. Now, the problem with that is the Packers get $20-plus million off their salary cap now immediately now that the trade has gone through today. And they wanted to be able to keep Razul Douglas. They wanted to have some flexibility to maybe go out into the market and find a player or two. Of course, now they have a pretty significant hole at wide receiver that they have to fill. But I think the timing was one of the reasons why they felt like they would take a first and a second as opposed to maybe taking the franchise tag signing approach. Yeah, it was sort of a win-now situation, right? Yeah, and and look, I I don't know what the Raiders' season is going to be like in 2022, but certainly having Devontae Adams on their roster makes them a lot better team, and they've made some other moves that have gotten everyone's attention. I mean, those picks could be less valuable in 2023 than they are now, but it's not like like the the potential trade of Rodgers to Denver, right, where they would have gotten the ninth overall pick like the Seahawks are getting for Russell Wilson. 22nd. I mean, look, 22nd could be a great pick. We saw Justin Jefferson get picked at number 22. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's not bad. Packers yeah. could have used him. Uh, they could have used T. Higgins, too, instead of Jordan Love, but that's another story for another day. They've got, they've got a hole at that position, and they're going to be using these first-round picks in some way, I would think, to fix that hole. In theory, right? But isn't it something like 19 straight drafts that they've gone without a running back wide receiver tight end? Sarah, the year was 2002, and young Jason <laughs> Wilde was in his fourth season as the lead beat writer for the Wisconsin State Journal. And Mike Sherman, the coach and general manager, mm. 
with the 20th overall pick selected Javon Walker out Mm. of Florida State, and they have not picked a wide receiver in the first round since. That sounds like the kind of legend you have to repeat the same way I have to know who Sid Luckman is. (laughs) It's like I shouldn't have to have this memorized. It was a long time ago. Uh, Jason Wilde with me here, Spade and Fitz Solo, Spain on ESPN Radio. We heard a lot of conflicting reports as people reacted to this news last night in the midst of our show, but the reporting tells us that Rodgers knew Devontae Adams would never again play for the Packers when he signed his deal. What does that say to you? Yeah, so there's been, you're right, there's been different reporting. And I think, you know, I'm one of those words matter guys, right? Like, I don't say someone signed if they haven't signed. I say they agreed to. But little small things. And I thought it was interesting because it was clear that the Packers had a narrative that they wanted out there. And the the words that were used, I think, matter. Some of the words were that he was aware of the situation with Devontae Adams in recent days. Uh, I do wonder if he fully knew that there was no turning back for Devontae when he signed his contract. I think I, I firmly believe that I wasn't lied to and that Rodgers was aware that things had gotten ugly. But I do also wonder if Rodgers was in any way, and I have not spoken to Aaron, so I don't know what he was thinking. But I, I would have been thinking if I was him, well, okay, I haven't signed my deal yet. Devontae's ticked off. I get it. He should be. We should take care of him. But once I sign my deal, maybe he'll come around, right? He'll know yeah. I'm back. I'm back for probably two years. So maybe, yeah, he's mad now, but maybe we can get this solved. That's the part that I don't know if it'll be Pat McAfee who gets the chance to ask him or if it's us <laughs> whenever we talk to him again. But that's one of the things I would like to know. Did, did he hold out hope at the time of his signing that Devontae would be back, or did he know that it was too far gone? Pat McAfee, I think when we keep talking about the biggest winners and losers from the NFL offseason, he keeps winning. <laughs> I mean, uh, he, uh, the, the means by which he sometimes gets the information, maybe not journalistically uh, uh, sound, but uh, he always he always gets the get. Uh, Jason Wilde from ESPN Milwaukee is with me. Um, what does this really mean for, for the Packers? I think it's obvious that Devontae Adams was probably the best receiver in the league. I believe they were also 7-0 when he was not playing. So what does this actually yeah, mean one of the, for how good the team can be? Yeah, Sarah, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you because that statistic is uh, absolutely crazy to me. So they were 4-0 and in 2019 when Devontae was out with a toe injury, 2-0 and in 2020 when he was sidelined by a hamstring, and they won the only game he missed this past season when he was out with COVID-19. Um, that, that combined with a an even – not quite Sid Luckman-esque history lesson, but the way Brett Favre became a better quarterback when he became less reliant on Sterling Sharp in the mid-1990s has led to, in my estimation, a surprising level of optimism from Packers fans who called Tauschen me today that, oh, it's going to be okay. Well, there's a couple problems with that. And one is the Packers' depth chart at wide receiver is a mess. Like, losing Equinemia St. Brown to the Bears is a little bit of a blow, actually, because right now, because Alan Lazard is a restricted free agent and not under contract, the three wide receivers the Green Bay Packers have under contract right now uh, that have caught at least one pass in the NFL 
are Randall Cobb, who had 28 catches in his uh, Aaron Rodgers demanded return to Green Bay last year. Amari Rodgers, who was a third-round pick last year, he caught four passes last year. And Juwan Winfrey, who spent most of the year on the practice squad, who had eight catches last year. That is the sum total of wide receiver receptions on their roster as of now. And on top of that, their tight end spot is in flux because their best tight end, Robert Tunyon, is a free agent coming off of a torn ACL. So when you look at the weapons of this offense, there should be reason for concern, even if Devontae Adams was on the roster, which, of course, he's not. We are out of time, 20 seconds or less. Packers' Luke Getze, their quarterback coach, becomes the Bears' offensive coordinator. Tell me something good. He's outstanding. He is an outside-the-box thinker. He's really smart. You, as a Bears fan, should be thrilled, uh, especially given your history with offensive coordinators. This might be the best (laughs) one you've had in a while. Hey, awesome stuff, Jason. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. Be good. Jason Wildey, listen to him on Wildey and Tausch on ESPN Milwaukee. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. We'll get back to Deshaun Watson, what it means for the team moving forward next. Never shocked, always disappointed is my new mantra. Uh, It's not new, uh, but I've decided to adopt it and use it more regularly. And today... I'm once again reminded that uh, while sports can provide us uh, with any number of positive uh, societal developments and lessons to be learned, it can also remind us that the bottom line becomes the most important thing and sometimes the only thing. And that is uh, what caused Deshaun Watson to make the decision to give up his no trade clause and select the Cleveland Browns, though they had already been allegedly eliminated from the conversation. That $230 million bottom line of guaranteed money swayed him. And in the case of the Browns, the never-ending search for a real franchise quarterback, which Deshaun Watson uh, no doubt is. Uh, If the skill set remains even after a year out, he is a tremendous football player. And that appears to be what the Browns cared about in making this decision, reconciling it with some of the other things the Browns have done and the ways that we believed that they would care about and prioritize not just female staff and coaching, but also any men at the organization who who care about things like this, fans who care about things like this, uh, is going to be difficult. Spain and Fit, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You're going to hear a lot of people talking about the football side of it, and that's important. That's what we do at ESPN. And there was some really great content from Booger McFarlane on SportsCenter talking about what kind of quarterback he can be for the Browns. What a great fit he will be for Stefanski's offense. He's athletic. He can threaten the edge of the defense. He's an accurate passer who's going to make a lot of those throws that Baker didn't. Uh, He's got a great roster that he's being added to. And this is a guy who could make that team very good. When is a question. Will he be suspended for maybe half, half the season? And is Case Keenum then the guy who has the roster on his shoulders until Watson returns? Uh, there's a lot of questions yet to be answered and and yet to be seen how the Browns decide to handle this decision. There are plenty of football fans who will excuse anything for someone that will make their team better. They will make excuses for anyone that they've elevated to a certain position, mostly due to their physical abilities, their fame, their success. I wrote a story a couple years ago, and it was inspired by Larry Nasser, the uh, the horrific monster 
who abused thousands of girls uh, in Michigan State and in the U.S. Gymnastics Program. And I was inspired to write it because I couldn't understand why some of the girls, and they were girls, uh, that were involved in that case still had people on social media blaming them, accusing them of lying. These were 13, 15, 16-year-old girls. And I thought, why in the world would anyone choose to believe someone who's been accused by, at the time it was probably hundreds, now we know it's thousands, over a 13-year-old girl. And so I, I started doing the research and wrote a story about why we victim blame and why we, why we want to point the finger at the person who is accusing uh, someone of criminal assault or, or domestic violence. Usually those are the ones we most do it in. And there's, a, there's an idea of a just world ideology, that if we do the right things and we follow the rules, then bad things won't happen to us. So if we believe that somebody else has had, you know, been the victim of a terrible crime, they must have done something to bring it on them because we can't imagine living in a world where even good people who do nothing wrong are victimized. So we would prefer to create a narrative around the idea that they should be blamed for what happened to them instead of believing that someone could just be a terrible person who would do this. And it is especially true with rich and famous people who are accused. We conflate the idea that they've been very successful and very talented with the idea that they must be moral. And that is happening a ton right now with Deshaun Watson. You can go through Mementchies on Twitter. In fact, I have a, a question and I want to see what you guys make of this. Just a guess. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to ask my great Spain and Fitz audience if they can guess how many people I've blocked on Twitter. I used to do it very discriminately. It was like, oh, it has to be, you know, very extreme cases of, you know, racism and homophobia and terrible. Now it's a little less discriminate. So use that as a guide. But just take a guess. I'm curious to see what you think. But my mentions today have been a hot garbage fire. And most of it is he was proven innocent. Well, he wasn't. In fact, a grand jury chose not to indict. And there was a study done by someone who was funded by the Justice Department. And uh, it was over three years across six states over 3,200 cases, only 1.6 of cases where sexual assault was reported to police ever made it to court. And the chances of Watson facing a jury trial were probably lower because most of the accusations from the women involved forcible fondling. There was one woman who, who accused him of forcing her to perform oral sex instead of rape. And because of that, it was even less likely that something would come of it. Also, there are stereotypes and generalizations about the job of massage therapist, and he is rich and famous. And there is very public pressure on prosecutors not to lose cases as it is uh, a political position. And you're voted into it and, and everything else. There is a great pressure not to take on cases that you don't feel super confident about winning. And as we know, so few cases of sexual assault and rape ever even go to trial, not to mention result in a guilty verdict. It's very hard to prove without a, without a shadow of a doubt. So let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that because of that, it means he didn't do it. And let's remind ourselves that, again, this is a professional athlete who, instead of using the services of any number of massage therapists provided by the team for the job that he does, using licensed, professional, qualified therapists, instead uh, found women on Instagram, some of whom were not licensed, at least one of whom was an esthetician and not even a masseuse, at least 50 to do massages. Strange enough, right? And then you add to that that 22 plus women have accused him of inappropriate behavior, sexual harassment and assault. And then ask yourself if you believe the one person who has everything in the world to protect and defend or 22 plus women 
at least one of whom is not related to the case, is not filing any charges, just wanted to have her story heard. And as we continue to talk about that, we ask, what's the role of the NFL if, if it's so difficult for legal systems to do this well? And I guess at least it's transparency. And that's why the next step and what we hear from the Browns will be so important. What diligence did they do? Did they talk to any of his accusers? Have they spoken to their employees and staff and coaches and asked them if they feel comfortable with this decision? Have they considered fans who will be deeply disturbed by this decision? Have they considered the optics of giving a contract that has $80 million more in guaranteed money to someone who is in this position to be choosing a team because he is currently facing 22 civil cases? I am not saying he shouldn't have a job. I'm not saying he should go to jail if he isn't criminally found guilty. I'm saying that we deserve a lot more than just shrugging our shoulders and always saying, well, this is how it is. We deserve a lot more than the NFL telling us that they're going to wear pink or have women in football forums or have podcasts and movies about women in the NFL and then show up and say, shrug, we're not going to hold him accountable, nor are we going to expect anything of the Browns when they make this decision. So those are the things that we still need. I don't think it's a lot to ask. I really don't. We're going to talk to Mina Kimes about this coming up next. She's covered this story so well. She'll tell us about the football side and the rest. It's coming up. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. I guess we're finally getting the quarterback carousel we hope for in the NFL. We spend a lot of time talking about an offseason where everyone could be on the move. We thought maybe it was just Carson Wentz to the commanders, and instead we're going to have Baker on the move. We still don't know what's happening potentially with Jimmy Garoppolo. Is Matt Ryan potentially aggrieved now? And Deshaun Watson found a landing spot and not the one that we expected. It was down to the Falcons and Saints, and he ends up with the Browns. To talk about it, we'll bring in someone who's been doing a great job talking about the story. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, joins me now. Mina, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me on. I've spent a lot of the show talking about this, and while I am certainly going to be interested in the football side of it, I feel like, to be honest, our network and most of the media has done a pretty terrible job talking about Deshaun Watson thus far, and it was necessary to talk a whole lot more about the other aspects than simply how it'll fit into Kevin Stefanski's system. And I wonder, as someone who is so deeply invested in the NFL and has so many great colleagues around, um, how you think we can make this a better conversation the next time it comes around because it's sure frustrating to feel like we do this uh, every time this comes up. Well, Sarah, I, I think something that's been really missing from a general coverage of this story is context and reminding people of what we know about this case. You know, when uh, the grand jury in Texas decided not to indict Deshaun Watson on Friday, which was, of course, the uh, event that precipitated all of the trade talk, not just from Cleveland, notably. Um, You know, it was presented as a green light and, I think, incorrectly um, presented to people as proof of innocence. There was no context about these types of sexual assault cases, the um, original allegations, the corroborating evidence, the fact that there was a woman who did not sue, uh, who had a similar account. None of that came up. We all immediately pivoted to just talking about the trade. So to your question, how do we do a better job discussing it? I think simply giving people the legal background here uh, and explain it and bringing on experts in these sorts of cases 
would go a long way towards um, covering it better than we have been. I completely agree with you, not only about the grand jury's failure to indict and all of the many reasons that it can happen, particularly in cases of sexual assault, but also um, the oddity that was Deshaun Watson seeking out 50-plus masseuses, at least, as far as we know, on Instagram, some of whom were not actually licensed and some of whom weren't even masseuses. Uh, I I know you talk to a lot of players and you, you work with a lot of former players. It's incredibly odd for an NFL player to do that, yes? Yeah, no, I mean, I have yet to hear from anyone who thinks that's typical behavior. Um, You know, Watson's camp, his uh, lawyers in their defense uh, did argue or concede that there, or pardon me, claim that he had had consensual sex acts. So we already know that, you know, this was not normal massages. He's admitted as such or claimed as such. So... Um, I think the question is, why so many? What does it mean? And, you know, in cases like this where there is very, very rarely evidence, in part because, and I learned this from uh, Jenny Brentos, who covers this story really well for the New York Times, that these types of sessions cannot be videotaped legally. Uh, you have to sort of examine facts like that when trying to evaluate what happens. Yeah, and of course we understand that there are people, if they are going to be serial abusers or offenders, that seek out spaces that would prevent there from being evidence. Uh, I'm not saying that that was intentional, but it's certainly something to keep in mind as we talk about this. Mina Kimes is with me here. Mina, how shocked were you when it was the Browns? And do you think it's as simple as $230 million guaranteed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's most shocking about this, not the fact that it was Cleveland within conference, although that obviously was surprising, especially after it had been reported that it had come down to um, uh, the Panthers and Falcons, but that the Browns were so motivated to make it happen despite the looming suspension, which, by the way, they baked into the contract so yep. that Deshaun Watson would be minimally punished financially, even if he is suspended, which uh, suggests the Browns are aware that a suspension is likely. Um, but the fact that they, you know, they, they gave him a player who has been accused by dozens of women of sexual misconduct, a player who is likely to be suspended, a player with a looming investigation, uh, a player where more details could come out. But they gave him the most guaranteed money in NFL history, I think is probably one of the starkest reminders that I can remember as someone who has loved the NFL and covered it for a really long time of the fact that many people and many teams in and around the league prioritize winning over everything. Absolutely. Mina Kimes is with me here. You can follow her at Mina Kimes, one of our great ESPN NFL analysts. Also had a great conversation with Jenny Vrentis on the Mina Kimes pod featuring Lenny talking about all of the reporting that Jenny has done on this. And I highly recommend you educate yourself on the specifics when thinking about uh, this going forward. Mina, what can we expect from the NFL on this? We've seen instances with, for instance, Ben Roethlisberger and Ezekiel Elliott where no criminal charges were required in order for the NFL to step in and punish. What do you think might happen? Uh, you know, it's always hard to know. You know, as Jenny mentioned, by the way, in her interview with me, a lot of the women were uncomfortable with the NFL's line of questioning in their investigation, which I think is notable. But um, I do think that given the fact that, as you mentioned, there have been suspensions uh, when charges were not brought, uh, Ezekiel Elliott more recently receiving six games, and um, – 
you know, a player like Calvin Ridley being suspended for at least a season, the optics of that make it probably, I, I say probably because I really don't know, but seem to make it more likely that the NFL will come down fairly hard on Watson, whether that's six games, eight games, or a season, I don't know, but I do know this. The Browns have certainly baked that into their calculus. All right, let's quickly, before I let you go, talk about the football side of things. Baker Mayfield ends up getting what he wants in terms of wanting out of Cleveland. Where do you see him ending up? Man, this is tricky because there's a few quarterbacks now floating, you could say, or there's a little bit of a musical chairs going on. Um, Baker, the Niners clearly want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Looks like Marcus Barriota is kind of the top free agent left with Jameis Winston likely returning to New Orleans. And then there's the wild card in all of this, I believe, which is Matt Ryan, who, as much as Baker wanted out of Cleveland uh, after, you know, learning that they wanted to move on from him, if I was Matt Ryan, (laughs) knowing how aggressive the Falcons were in their pursuit, I would want out even more. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, has played at a really high level for this franchise for a long time and has a reasonable case to argue that he's been pretty disrespected. So if he's available for them, and and I think, by the way, for the Falcons, there might be a reason as well if they're kind of willing to enter a rebuilding phase. Pardon me, it's not a good roster. Uh, to me, he instantly becomes the most desirable quarterback to teams like Indianapolis or Seattle, and that makes it a little bit harder for Baker to go to the team of his choice. Yeah, do you think that Matt Ryan will feel that way? There was certainly, I mean, that's a, that's a long relationship between those, and everyone talks about how you really get to have a great a relationship with the owner if you play in Atlanta. That felt like a pretty big uh, slap to the face of Matt Ryan. It did. And also, Sarah, you know, the Colts are a better football team than the Falcons. So if I'm Matt Ryan, you know, he's going to get paid the same either way. Um, I would be definitely interested, especially he's still a good quarterback. He's just been in a bad situation the last few years, and the Falcons have a terrible offense right now. I would be very interested in leaving for a different team. I would actually say Seattle also has a better offensive roster than Atlanta. Right. That's a good point. Who are we left with out there? Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo still has to find a home, right? Yeah. So there's three quarterbacks, and then you're looking at um, the the Colts, the Seahawks, potentially the Falcons, although I think if they were trade Matt Ryan, they would just go to a full rebuild. And then there are still teams like um, Pittsburgh, where I think they would also still – consider a veteran option yeah so with marcus mariota Jameis winston ryan fitzpatrick andy dalton jimmy garoppolo there are still a lot of moving pieces potentially definitely and it all just comes down to how good do you think your team is do you think you can win now because if you do you're more likely to trade for ryan or mayfield i don't know how much they'll command certainly not you know as much as Sean watson but um versus taking a flyer on a, a free agent like Marcus Mariota. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. You can follow her at Mina Kimes with me here on Spain and Fitz. Got to let you go, but is is Drew Locke the answer for your Seahawks? Or are you hoping that they make a move? I actually just Photoshopped Matt Ryan into a Seahawks jersey, so that's, <laughs> I'm trying to manifest that right now. All right, good, so, good. <laughs> uh, keep, that, keep that energy away from me, Sarah. All right, listen, hey, I don't have any good energy over here. Larry Ogunjobi failed his physical, (laughs) so the Bears are uh, hot garbage as well. Oh, not great. Hey, thanks so much. I know it's a Friday night for you. Really appreciate the time and really, really appreciate the way you've covered this. Thank you. Anytime. Mina Kimes, she's fantastic. Follow her, listen to her, read her, watch her. 
Uh, follow her on the internet, not anywhere else. Which reminds me, uh, I finally remembered to post the uh, poll about how many people I've blocked on Twitter. So feel free to go ahead and vote. See if you can take a stab at it. Who are the next quarterbacks to change teams? You just talked to Mina about it. We'll get into more of it next. Yeah, my day started with uh, learning that the Bears' biggest acquisition so far this offseason, Larry Okunjobi, failed his physical and wouldn't be joining the team. So that's a big kick in the no-no places, as my co-host Jason Fitz would say. Then I proceed to uh, watch my brackets completely implode during March Madness, uh, find myself wondering exactly how good it feels just to be there and to make it during a record-breaking season uh, if you're a team like Howard who got beat 79-21 to and it wasn't that close. And uh, now get ready for a full night of games, potentially some more upsets on both sides, the men and the women's brackets while trying to reconcile this massive Deshaun Watson to the Browns news that hit just before the show started and all of the tentacles that it results in, including, unfortunately, I think what will be a lot of fairly poor conversations from people who have not educated themselves on the situation and people that are just ready to get to the football part. And there are some pretty interesting football elements to this. Um, Just talk to Mina about some of them. Some of the names that I think we were most interested in seeing where they would end up are still out there. And the back and forth of Baker Mayfield, how how has his reputation potentially changed to interested parties as a result of the last week or two? Right? You at one point fully understood that he might be frustrated with the Browns for talking to another quarterback right in front of him, especially after having sacrificed an injured body to stay out there, whether or not that resulted in great play, he still made the decision to show up every week for his team. And when they started talking to Deshaun Watson, he said, okay, great. Well, then you don't want me. I'm out of here. And then when Deshaun Watson said the Browns were out of it, they said, no, 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 uh, we're not going to let you leave. We're going to keep you around, Baker. We need you. We've decided you are no longer a kid. You are the adult quarterback we've always been looking for. I'm sorry, wait, hold on. Deshaun Watson is back, and you're gone. During that time, Baker Reagan Mayfield puts out the statement that I thought was probably just trying to get out ahead of things. No matter what happens, I want the people of Cleveland to believe me when I tell them how I feel about this city and this team, and in order for that to happen, I have to do it before whatever happens goes down. I thought that that was mostly what he was doing there. It wasn't particularly well-received, though. And for a lot of folks, uh, it made them question the product that Baker would be giving to a, a, a team. That, that That's already been questioned in terms of, you know, height and hand size and everything else. Um, but as far as being a professional quarterback who can get a team some wins, he is certainly better than what some teams are trotting out right now. So this deal for Watson, again, five years, $230 million, all of it guaranteed, $80 million more than anyone ever, a base salary of just a million dollars in that first season. That is a concession from the team and from Watson that they expect him to be punished and suspended. He will lose very little monetarily, as Jake Trotter told us earlier, about $50,000 probably will come out of his pocket if he is suspended. Uh, for the six games to start the season. So they make that deal, and that leaves us with Mayfield now looking for a home. Could that be the Colts? What about Matt Ryan, who just went through a very similar situation 
This is all reminding me just a little bit of when LeBron James said he wanted to take his talents elsewhere. Teams started clearing out the books, trying to make room for the big three. Teams started trying to make as many overtures to LeBron as possible, uh, leaving some other players who either wanted to be wooed in free agency and recognize that they were not the primary target or stars of teams that knew that they would be shipped out if LeBron arrived, not feeling great about the situation. And that happened here with the Saints, the Falcons, the Browns. So what does Matt Ryan want to do now? Now that he has been uh, disrespected, to be honest, by a team that he's been a, a great player for for a long time and with whom he seemed to have a great relationship. Does he want to take his talents to maybe the Colts? By the way, let's talk about how early in the offseason, we thought the Colts had painted themselves into a corner that they could not escape. We thought, who is going to take Carson Wentz off your hands? And who are you going to get if you don't keep Carson Wentz? He had decent numbers, but didn't show up when you needed to him, particularly when all you need to do is beat the Jags to advance to the postseason. So who are you going to get that's better than him, and who is going to take him off your hands? Well, the Washington Commanders showed up. I did get one piece of good news today in the NFL, by the way. Anheuser-Busch, one of the largest corporate sponsors of the Washington Commanders, has left the team. No longer working with them. I can imagine why. There are a lot of reasons why. And I don't know if all of those good, valid reasons that make me feel warm and cozy inside are the reasons, but I hope so. I hope we finally saw someone pull the dollars because of a toxic workplace and terrible culture and awful things that shouldn't be just shrugged about. So we know that's how things change is the money. So that was some good news. But the Washington Commanders are the team that stepped up and said, you know what? This is looking like a real tough offseason to find a new quarterback. Let's go ahead and step up and get Carson Wentz. And we really hope he wears a letterman's jacket when he arrives. Or even better, a mustard blazer with a burgundy shirt underneath to help usher in the brand new era of the Washington Commanders with our guy Carson Wentz. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, there's a bunch of other quarterbacks available that we should have waited for maybe? Yeah. Tough timing for Washington. And they usually win the offseason. I know that's a long-running joke that the Washington Commanders always win the offseason. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. By the way, it's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. Bunch of quarterbacks trying to get in the zone with the new team. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So, yeah, Matt Ryan might be making a move. Jimmy Garoppolo is still out there. And that's a fascinating one. Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, these are guys that we've heard a lot of takes on. And you really, it, it, it was very clear that Jimmy G was about one pass away from winning a Super Bowl and did a very good job with the Niners this past season as well. Niners uh, clearly ready to move on, but he's sort of in limbo because he's still under contract. Uh Maybe the Colts would be a great fit for him. He won a lot of games, made good use of a, of a running game there and a good defense. That's the same formula he'd be playing with with the Colts. Maybe he ends up staying with the Niners if they, if they look around and they don't think that they don't think their guy's ready yet. What about Jameis Winston? It certainly feels like the Saints, who thought that they were the team that was most likely to get Deshaun Watson until the Browns pulled the okey-doke, are now in a position where they don't want Taysom Hill to be the guy. 
as I often say, it really feels like Sean Payton is the only human on earth alongside Taysom Hill that believes, believes Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback and paid him as much. But they renegotiated to make all that space to try to get Deshaun Watson. They made all those contracts uh, restructured so they could get Deshaun Watson, and now it'll be maybe Jameis Winston again? I mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's still out there, and when he's not hurt, playing pretty good. Andy Dalton, I think, may have started his last game unless there's an injury. As Mina mentioned, Mitchell Trubisky is with the Steelers. Are they still looking for a veteran to put there? What about the Seahawks with Drew Locke? That's not an answer there. And again, yeah, is Trey Lance going to be it for the Niners? A lot of quarterback questions. We finally got the quarterback carousel action that we've been looking for, all the different pieces moving, and uh, uh, I, I'm frankly still shocked that my Bears are not in the mix. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. Now they have no offensive line and they don't have any weapons and things probably aren't going to go great, but we got our quarterback, I think. <laughs> 